good day and welcome to life in a backpack where we talk about minimalism being a digital nomad backpacking moving to college or really anything else that might inspire you to put your life into a backpack today we're going to focus very much on the budget side of traveling and and of backpacking um, specifically talking about booking flights and how to find cheap flights um, I think this is like a topic that anybody who travels quite frequently um, will be and should be aware of just because it's one of the single biggest expenses associated with traveling, right? Like once you get there, it's it's not all that overwhelming, right? And you can easily travel permanently for roughly the cost of rent, but actually like getting there, especially if if you're going somewhere relatively far away is something that's going to like drastically outweigh a significant period's worth of like accommodations and food and everything else like that. So if you're looking to trim your budget, then this is like one of the easiest ways to do it uh, for relatively minimal inconvenience. And that might sometimes mean like a bit of a painful flight itinerary, right? And for some people, you know, you might want to put a limit on how much comfort you're willing to sacrifice. But generally speaking, a cheaper flight can mean a much better trip and a much longer trip because you then have more money that you can put into actually being wherever you are and engaging in like different activities that you might want to take part in. So today we're going to be looking at like a couple of little tricks that people tend to use and some of the logistics of actually trying to find and book cheap flights. And the place I want to start is with flight aggregator sites. This is something that you might already be aware of if you're somebody who has booked quite a few flights. But for those of you who aren't aware, so flight aggregator sites are basically websites that you can go onto that, as the name would suggest, aggregate the different flights offered by different airlines into like onto one site, right? So you'll see all of the different airlines flight offerings on that day for that route on one website. And so that makes it a really useful way to compare different, different airlines and the prices that they're offering and the different routes that you can take. And these are like, also valuable tools for like several other reasons because they typically have some features that you wouldn't necessarily be able to find just like on an airline's website. I just wanted to talk about a couple of those. So one of my favorite uses for flight aggregator sites is this anywhere feature that some of them have. Um, Kiwi, I yeah, so Kiwi does have one. Kiwi is like a really common flight aggregator site, um, but theirs is like not very good in my experience, but Skyscanner does have a relatively good one. And basically what this feature does is you can put in your home airport. So let's say you're flying from like San Francisco. So you would put in San Francisco and then in the two box, you can put anywhere, meaning that they're going to show you prices for flights that go literally anywhere. And if you're somebody who is planning on traveling semi-permanently or at least for a longer period of time, this is going to be really useful because prices aren't just influenced by how far you go. They're also influenced by how common the route is and how much competition there is and how big the airport is and what time of the year it is and like sometimes just just by chance, right? So you can look at the different destinations that are available to you and maybe if you can find like a really, really good flight deal, you might change your mind as to where you want to go initially. And the more flexible you are with your trip and with your destinations and kind of the order that you want to go in, 
obviously the cheaper it's going to be in order to to especially get across the ocean if you're if you're going overseas um, but just generally to get from place to place and the other thing that this is good for even if you're a regional traveler so if you know for a fact like i'm going to thailand end of story this is where i want to end up you can actually look at different cities within the country or like at least different airports within that region because some airports are significantly more expensive to fly into than others so you can look at the different airports that are in the region and say like hey you know um i wanted to go to bangkok but this flight to ho chi minh city is like half the price so i'm gonna fly into ho chi minh and then i'm gonna make my way to bangkok from there and so that's like a really easy way to save hundreds upon hundreds of dollars, especially for long haul flights, is to just be like a little bit flexible in where you want to go. The only caveat I would give to that, obviously, like if you have no intention whatsoever of spending any time in Ho Chi Minh City, then you do need to take into account the cost both of time and of actual money that's going to take to get from Ho Chi Minh to Bangkok. But in general, I do think this is a really useful tool, even, you know, just to take a look. And if there's like a really, really good deal that sticks out, then great. The other thing that you can find is just more convenient routes, right? So if you have a particular price and everything's around that same price, um, you might be able to save yourself a couple of layovers, right? And that's always a good thing if if you're going to be spending the same amount of money either way. So definitely if you're going on a really long trip, if you're at all flexible in terms of where you want to land when you get off the plane, I would suggest just casually perusing with that everywhere feature just to give yourself an idea of what the price points are at in the time that you want to travel. A related feature, which is which kind of is along a, a, a similar mindset, is the whole month feature, which Skyscanner also has. I'm very partial to Skyscanner. And basically, this feature allows you to look at all the flight prices for a particular destination for the entire month. So if you know, well, I want to go to Bangkok in July, and you only search for a particular date, then that's a really small sample size. So if it's like $1,700 on that day, then you know, you might look at like a couple of a couple more days, but it's really impractical to just look at all 30 days, right? So this feature just allows you to really quickly look at an overview of what the cheapest flight price is on any particular day. It obviously can't show you every single flight price for every single day, just because it's impractical to display that amount of information. But it will give you an idea of like, oh, well, you know, like if I go on July 3rd, then $1,700. But if I wait until July 11th, then it's going to be only like, $800. And again, this is like a really simple way to save hundreds of dollars if you're at all flexible in terms of the dates you want to travel. So those are kind of a couple of the features that are unique to these sites that I think are really helpful just right from the get-go for slimming down your flight budget. Another feature that is unique to these flight aggregator sites or at least largely, is self-transfer routes. So self-transfer routes are something that you might have seen when booking a flight before, and it was just kind of really complicated, and it wasn't really clear what that actually is, so you just kind of skip past it. Um, but self-transfer routes are basically just a patchwork of empty seats that exist that could theoretically get you to the place where you're going. Oftentimes, these are empty seats that are offered by budget airliners, and basically what the flight aggregator site will try to do for you 
is to create like a long, windy flight route that is really, really cheap, right? So let's say you're flying from Almaty to Barcelona. You might be tempted to just say, okay, well, I want to go from Almaty to Barcelona and there's like a British Airways flight that's serving this route. So I'm going to take that. Or in some cases, the same airline will offer you connecting flight. So maybe British Airways will fly from Almaty to London, and then you'll have to transfer and, and connect onto a different flight. And that flight will then take you from London to Barcelona. And this is kind of a similar idea, except that the same airline is not taking you from your first destination to your last one, right? So every time you connect at an airport, you're going on to a completely unrelated flight from a completely separate airline. And you're essentially booking multiple tickets. So let's say, for example, Wizz Air is taking you from Almaty to London, and then you might have a connecting flight that's serviced by EasyJet from London to Barcelona. And EasyJet and Wizz Air will not communicate with each, with each other at all. Now, these are really advantageous because they do save you a substantial amount of money, as in sometimes half the cost of your ticket or even less. I have seen... I've seen search results where the next cheapest flight was like over $1,000, but the self-transfer flight was like $500 or less because these are just like empty seats. They're from like the cheapest of the cheap airlines and it's not fancy, um, definitely. And it's a little bit complicated, but at the end of the day, it'll get you to where you want to go for substantially less money. But there are a couple of pitfalls um, as is the case whenever you try to trick the system to be aware of. So just a couple of things here if you are interested in these self-transfer flights. Firstly, because the airlines do not know that you're coming from a, a different destination and coming with a different airline, your transfers are not protected. So normally if you're booking with a single airline or within a single air, uh, airline alliance, your you are guaranteed to be ticketed to your final destination. So let's say you show up in London and it turns out your flight to Barcelona has already left. That's okay. The airline will simply book you onto the next flight or they'll book you on a different route that will get you to your final destination. And that will come as no extra charge to you because they issued your ticket to Barcelona and it's their job to make sure that you get from point A to your final point B. In this case, these airlines have no such obligation, right? If Wizz Air takes you from Almaty to London, their job is basically done at the, that point. And it is, you're basically taking on the risk of potentially missing the connecting EasyJet flight. So while it can save you a substantial amount of money, you need to be aware that there is a risk that you're taking there. And if your flight is delayed by like 12 hours or your flight gets canceled, or for some reason you just don't make it to London, maybe you miss your initial flight or something. Like, I guess that wouldn't be protected either way. But yeah, those are cases where you just like would not get your money back. And you need to be aware that you might be buying a last minute fare to Barcelona or spending a lot more time in London than you initially intended. So if you miss your connection, basically, yeah, you do have to pay out of pocket to make up for that. But with that being said, I 
think that that's a more of a rarity than people would expect. I have taken these self-transfer flights quite often, and I have yet to miss a connection. But I think that a really important thing to do if you're going to be taking these self-transfer flights is to book a substantial amount of layover time. A thing to be aware of for these layovers is that you may have to go through immigration and you may have to pick up your suitcase because, again, these are completely different airlines and Wizz Air is not going to arrange to give EasyJet your suitcase. I don't personally travel with a suitcase, so that's like not a huge deal for me personally. And, of course, I recommend traveling with just a backpack if that's something that's practical for you and that, that is compatible with the kind of travel that you're doing. But if you are checking in a bag, you will have to take that bag from one airline and give it to the other airline, which means that, you know, you'll have to go through a separate check-in process and things like that. So you do want to give yourself substantial layover time. So I, even for domestic flights or cases where I don't have to go through immigration, I usually give myself like a solid four or five hour layover. And usually that does mean that I'm just going to be sitting in the airport for four hours waiting for my connecting flight. But that kind of gives me a little bit of security just in case my flight, the the first flight is running a little bit late or a lot late. Um, I can still make that that other flight and I don't risk having to pay out of pocket. So that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the risk assessment that you have to make. I'd also say that like one of these days I'm going to miss my connection. It's just inevitable. Like if you do enough of these self-transfer flights, one day, you know, you might just have to pay for another flight. And to that, I would say, if you are leaving yourself really, really comfortable connection times, if you don't have to recheck your suitcase, things like that, then the amount of money you're saving can very quickly outweigh the amount of money that you're going to have to spend on that other flight, assuming you decide to book it at all, right? If you're a really flexible traveler, you might just say like, oh, well, I wanted to go to Barcelona, but here I am in London and I'm going to hang out here for a couple days and then I'm going to wait for like a really cheap flight, right? So you are still losing money on that flight that you missed, but if you're flexible, then you can minimize the financial impact. Another thing to be aware of with these self-transfer flights is that sometimes they will have a change airport or an airport transfer. So... This is particularly common. I would recommend looking out for routes that go over London because it's very, very common for these to have a change airport thing. I generally don't recommend going with change airport flights unless the the money you save is really, really, really substantial. So basically the idea here, again, as the term suggests, is that you fly into London and let's say you fly into like Heathrow and your connecting flight is leaving from Gatwick. And it is entirely your responsibility to make sure that you get from Heathrow to Gatwick within your transfer time. And that's not impossible. Obviously, you can do that. But there are a couple things to be aware of. Firstly, the risk of something going wrong obviously is a little bit greater just because there's more elements to it, right? So the first flight has to land relatively on time and then your transportation to the other airport has to go well and you know you need to not have any issues there. Definitely, if you're doing it, I recommend pre-booking, but still, even if you pre-book, things can go wrong and then you have to take into account you know, immigration, security, things like that, not getting tied up there. 
So there's just like more pieces at work. And as a result, you know, more can go wrong. But for these self-transfer flights, I would suggest leaving like a solid eight hours. I've I've never booked one of these change airport routes, but yeah, like I would I would definitely leave a solid eight hours. The other thing to consider with these these airport changes is the cost of actually changing airports. So you might find that the amount of money you're saving isn't worth it when you consider the amount of money it'll take to get yourself from airport A to airport B. And also some of them are overnight layovers, right? So you might have to like pay for accommodations or by the time you get there, you might be absolutely like so completely exhausted that you'll just decide to spontaneously book last minute accommodations. You'll definitely have to feed yourself, things like that. And of course, you'll have to endure the rather unfortunate inconvenience of sitting on an airport floor for a while. But yeah, that is something to be aware of. If I were to come across a flight where I'm saving like a thousand dollars trying by by changing airports, then I would probably do it. I would probably take that risk, especially if the connecting flight is one is is by far the cheaper one. And especially if my plans were flexible, but I would just be weary of that. And when you're looking on these flight aggregator sites and you're looking at kind of these like self-transfer flights, airport changes, things like that, uh, just be aware that they're only showing you what's theoretically possible, but some of the options that they give you might require teleportation. So flight aggregator sites will normally not take into account whether it is practical for you to be able to do the self-transfer route. Again, this is like entirely up to you and you need to make the judgment of whether it's possible. But, you know, sometimes you'll see these ridiculously short connections where it says, oh yeah, so your flight will come into Heathrow at 4 p.m. and at 4.45 you'll be leaving from Gatwick, right? Which is obviously, I, I can't, imagine a way in which you would make that connecting flight but the flight aggregator site will not take that into account there are some flights that will allow you to search by stopover time but nevertheless just be careful when you're booking especially when you're booking a self-transfer ticket to make sure you understand what you need to do when you get to your transfer airport and make sure that you have more than enough time to do that And then just as a very last note on these self-transfer flights, so these are not convenient flights. This is probably pretty obvious already, but just be aware that these are not the kind of, these are not the kind of flights that you want to take. These are the kind of flights that you have to take. So just to give you an idea, I once flew from Almaty to Rio and my route was Almaty to Budapest to Turin to Amsterdam to Rio. And this was all on a self-transfer ticket. And it was a ridiculously cheap flight. It was less than $400, which is like insane for that route. But by the time I got to Rio, I was like absolutely exhausted, right? I had spent about 48 hours on planes and in airports and stuff like that. I actually did book a hostel in Turin just because, you know, there's probably no way I could have made it. And I still considered it well worth the cost by the time you calculate, you know, like getting to getting to the hostel and then getting back to the airport and things like that. It was quite a long layover. So yeah, 
if if you're booking these self-transfer flights, be aware that they are a little bit painful. And by the time you get there, you're going to be absolutely miserable and probably hate yourself for, for doing that. But also understand that while those, you know, 24 to 48 hours usually for long haul flights are quite miserable, you are, you are saving yourself a substantial amount of money for that inconvenience, right? So by the time you get there, it's all over and yes, you're miserable, but at the end of the day, you might have an extra like 500 plus dollars in your pocket. So just do that calculus and figure out how much you value that convenience and whether those self-transfer flights are for you. Now, just back to the main topic of flight aggregator sites, a couple of notes on those just to be aware of. First of all, you might kind of wonder whether they're reputable, and that's a completely fair question, and like whether they take a certain slice of the money. So most of these flight aggregator sites will actually lead you to other third-party sites on which you can book, and they'll give you like a price comparison. So Skyscanner will show you, oh, well, you know, this flight costs $300 on GoToGate, and then it costs $400 on Expedia, and so on and so forth. So oftentimes it's not them, you're not buying the ticket through them, you're buying a ticket either through the airline or through a third-party site. You can buy it through the airline and that flight will always be available, it's just that the the price might be a little bit cheaper somewhere else. Now, if the flight isn't substantially cheaper on a third-party website versus on the airline site, I would recommend just booking on the airline, just spending a tiny bit of extra money. Because while a third-party booking site, you know, insofar as the site itself is legitimate, will get you a little bit of a better deal, you do lose some ability to like administer your ticket. So if you're seeking compensation because your flight was late, or if you're looking to rebook, or if you're looking to cancel, or if you're looking to add a suitcase or anything like that, it's just a huge pain to have to go through these these third-party booking websites in order to try to make any sort of changes to your flight. And some of them just offer the most horrible customer service, probably by design. Whereas at least if you're booking through through the airline itself, you have all of the protections that come with that and you're more able to make modifications to your ticket and and get access to their customer service and things like that. So if things go wrong, it's it's definitely substantially better to have booked with your airline. As in particular, some airlines, if they're going to refund you for your flight, then it's quite difficult to then get the refund from the third-party website. Now, in terms of the websites themselves and whether they're reputable, so... There are better ones and there are worse ones, but in general, they're not top-notch. I have booked many, many, many legitimate tickets with them, but you should just be aware that, you know, there are some out there that have been a little bit sketchy in the past. In particular, like just in my experience... I find that actually Kiwi itself, which actually will sometimes sell you tickets on its own platform, has been particularly sketchy. Um, I had a couple of issues, a couple of minor issues with them. And then at one point I booked a ticket and 
they contacted the airline to get to reserve that ticket. But by the time they had that ticket was already gone. So they said that they would refund me and they never actually refunded me. And then, so I reached out to them and was like, hey, where's my money? And they actually claimed that they had already given me my money back. So even though they very clearly had not. So I did actually end up having to file a fraud claim through my credit card provider for that. And in in order to get the money back because they were essentially just refusing to refund me. So I definitely wouldn't recommend going through Kiwi. I have yet to have any sort of similar issue with any other third-party booking website, but definitely like do your research and decide what your risk tolerance is because, you know, that doesn't mean that they're completely reputable. And Again, like there are some that are better than others, like probably you're going to have a better time with like Expedia versus some of the others, just because like they're they're generally on the more reputable end of things. So just that, that to be aware of if you're using these uh, flight aggregators that you might be booking through a third party website and um, yeah, like just just a couple of pitfalls there to avoid. So just to switch gears here from flight aggregators, another point that I wanted to make was on airline passes, which I think is something that quite a few people, even people who have traveled quite a bit, aren't fully aware of. And the main part of that, or the main reason for that rather, is because they are a relatively new concept. In the past 10 years, I've found in general that a lot of companies are turning to more subscription-based models, and airlines seem to have tried to hop on that boat as well. So basically, airline passes are a subscription service, sometimes automatically renewing, sometimes not, that you can buy with with airlines. And they will give you like discounts on certain things if you fly with that particular airline a lot. I find that the majority of the time, that isn't worth it just because it's unlikely that you're going to be flying with one airline so much and that they're going to offer the cheapest fare from the get-go. But something to be aware of, like if you're in Europe, for example, um, you might be flying a lot with like Ryanair or EasyJet, or if you're flying from Europe to the Middle East and and in that area, then you might be flying a lot with like Wiz, right? So if you find yourself repeatedly booking with one airline, you might want to check to see if they have um, some sort of like flight pass that you can purchase. So for example, like the Wizz Air Discount Club at the time when I had purchased it will get you, I think it was 10 euros off of each flight that you book with them. And that was in exchange for a 40 euro annual membership. So if you're taking four flights with them, then it makes the membership worth it. And a lot of these these discount programs will often give you other things like, for example, um, like more flexible flight changes and free carry-ons and, you know, like other like little perks like priority boarding and things like that. And some of them like don't have any genuine value. It's just like a really cheap thing for them to include in the package in order to encourage you to buy it. Like in particular, like I don't really care about my ability to bring a suitcase or my ability to board the airplane first. In fact, I really like boarding the airplane last. I'm always the last foot in the door. But depending on kind of what your priorities are and and what you're doing, it might be worth looking into that. In particular, I like that some of them offer more flexible flight changes. I'm the kind of person who likes extra layers of security. Like I buy insurance for everything and I like to have changeable flights, even if it means paying more. So 
if I, I think there's a good chance that I'm going to break even on the membership, I'll take it just for that easy flight change option, right? If, if that's something that that particular airline offers. So that's something to be aware of. Just to say on the topic of budget airliners, though, and things that they get up to, a thing to be aware of is which airport you're going to land at. And I find this particularly relevant in Europe and in North America. So basically, when you're booking a flight with a budget airliner, you might find yourself not landing at the main airport. And a lot of times the airports that you're going to land at are substantially further outside the city. They might have less access to to public transit. So you might have to actually pay for a taxi to get into the city or they, you know, might just like be airports that have like fewer amenities or things like that. So, you know, places like Toronto, Frankfurt, London, Rome, things like that have multiple airports within their vicinity. And some of those are more well-connected than others. So you need to understand that budget airliners or all airlines actually have to pay to operate out of an airport, right? And because the business model of budget airlines demands the cheapest of the cheap that gets you from point A to point B, that might mean landing a little bit away from point B. So you might end up quite a bit further away from your from that city than you expected or you might end up not being able to simply hop on a train and get to get to the city right so for example in frankfurt which is is a city that i'm quite familiar with some budget airlines will land in the Hahn airport instead of the instead of frankfurt's main airport and this is I think it was initially just a cargo airport, but now they also use it, like primarily Ryanair uses it, and it is an extremely bare bones airport. Like they have a couple of chairs that are so dirty that honestly the floor is probably cleaner. They have, I think, a McDonald's now and a cafe that is just never open for some reason. And that's pretty much it. They might like have a vending machine, access to running water. I'm not sure. Um, But, you know, just like a very, very, very small airport. And it's also in the middle of nowhere. So Frankfurt is in the Rhineland. And basically this is like in this airport is in a relatively rural area. So in order to get from the city or from the main airport to the Han airport, you basically get on a bus and drive for like an hour, hour and a half, something like that. And it's like really quite a ways outside of the city. There's also notably zero public transit going there with the exception of this private bus service that is run. And so if you don't buy a bus ticket, then good luck because you'll probably be paying for like a very, very, very expensive taxi to get to wherever you're going. And if you just have a layover at the Han airport, honestly, it's probably not even worth going into Frankfurt, the city. Like it's probably worth just like looking at one of the small towns that's in the area to see if you can find some cheap accommodation there. And yeah, it's probably just going to cost you more to transit through that airport in all honesty than just booking with with an airline that flies through Frankfurt's main airport or flies a completely different route. So, you know, before you book a really cheap budget flight and think like, hey, look at me, I'm going to Toronto or I'm going to Frankfurt for like 50 bucks or something like that. Just be aware that sometimes the cost of getting from the airport to the city in those cases and the stress of it can outweigh the flight itself, right? 
you can end up in a situation where it costs you like $50 to fly into Frankfurt, but then it costs you another $50 to get to, to get from Frankfurt airport to the actual city. Right. So, and in that case, you know, it's probably a lot cheaper and a lot easier to just buy like a hundred dollar flight from another airline and just land at the main airport. Right. And it's probably also just going to make your experience a lot better, even if it is still marginally more expensive. It's really up to you how much inconvenience you're willing to endure for to save a little bit of money. But, you know, I personally, Han Airport is just so painful that at this point, I'm willing to spend almost any amount of money to land at the main Frankfurt Airport. Um... Yeah, I've just flown out of that airport enough and you would have to offer me a really, really, really cheap flight in order to fly out of there again. So in the cases where you're not landing at the main airport, just make sure you know what your options are in terms of getting to the city and what the amenities are there and whether it's actually worth booking that flight or not. And then kind of along similar lines, just staying here for a minute with budget airliners, another thing to be aware of is the cost of luggage. So definitely, you know, if you're flying short haul flights almost anywhere in the world, no matter which airline you're flying with, there's probably going to be some sort of cost for for bringing check-in luggage. But there are very, very strict carry-on allowances for short haul flights with budget airliners that traditional airliners might kind of not enforce or not have in the first place. So for example, if you're flying with like British Airways, the ticket might be a little bit more expensive, but they're probably going to let you bring your carry-on as long as it's reasonably carry-on sized. Whereas if you're flying with EasyJet and you're bringing like a pretty large carry-on, they're probably going to charge you extra for that carry-on. And these allowances are getting like more and more restrictive. So there's a couple things you can do here um, in order to bring your stuff with you. The first is to just book a more expensive ticket on a traditional airline that isn't going to enforce any carry-on restrictions or might not have them at all. And, you know, if it's plus or minus $20, definitely that's probably something you'll, you'll be interested in if you have a larger backpack. You can also, and this was something that we discussed in the last episode, and I'll link to this in the show notes afterwards, is you can buy a backpack that adheres to the carry-on restrictions of pretty much every airline in the world. So I think right now, like the the strictest carry-on requirements are something like 50 centimeters by 35 centimeters by 20 by 20 centimeters or something along those lines. So you can actually buy a backpack that's specifically designed to be able to meet those carry-on restrictions. The other thing you can do is just ignore it. So this is this is something that some people choose to do. Um, their theory is that Ryanair and all of these other budget airliners that charge for carry-ons are really just engaging in a cash grab, which is to say that when you book, they'll ask you like, are you going to bring a carry-on? And they'll threaten you multiple times and say, you know, if you bring a carry-on that exceeds our our weight and size restrictions, we're going to charge you an insane amount of money at the airport. So you'd better just pay us now, right? For Ryanair, I think it's something like 15 euros to pay in advance for a carry-on. And then, but then if you get to the airport and they do happen to catch your bag and it's it's bigger or heavier than 
than what their guidelines are, you'll end up paying something like 70 euros at the gate in order to bring your backpack with you. So it's really, it it depends on what your philosophy is with regard to that. I can personally say from experience um, with these budget airliners, within Europe, I think I've been asked once. And even then, like, it was, like, a pretty casual check. Like, I didn't have to actually put it into the little sizer that they have at the airport. Um, I have been checked in other parts of the world. But Europe is definitely the most famous for this when you're flying. And I would say largely if you're trying to decide, like, oh, should I just pay in advance versus, like, paying at the gate, I would say that, like, just purely from a mathematical perspective, ignoring any sort of stress associated with it, it's probably better in, again, this is just my experience, it's probably better to take the risk and just be prepared to pay at the gate if that's something you need to do. But times change. Um, These could be enforced more strictly in the future or maybe I've just been ridiculously lucky and not really ever had my bag checked I do find that sometimes they'll just do like a casual visual check so I have seen a few people kind of be pulled out of line because they had really giant carry-ons and definitely budget airliners will do this more but I've even seen that happen with traditional airliners so you know it really depends on on what your backpack looks like and how big it is and what kind of your risk tolerance is. I'm the kind of person, regardless of the math, who just likes to pay a little bit extra in order to bring my carry-on and not have to worry about paying an unexpectedly large amount of money at the gate. I'm aware that this financially probably doesn't work out for the best, but I just kind of prefer it for the convenience of not having to to go through that stress, right? And not having to think like, oh, you know, are they going to check my bag? And do I see a gate agent with some sort of measuring tape here? And is there a scale at this airport? And, you know, it's just kind of something that sort of sits in my mind the whole time if I don't pay for it. So I'm really paying, well, you know, maybe I'm falling into their trap. I'm probably falling into their trap. But yeah, I'm just paying for for the peace of mind of knowing that I won't have to pay extra, even though in the end it probably does cost me more. Um, this was the case with my last backpack. Um, I've actually now gotten a new backpack that adheres to the carry-on requirements because, again, I'm that kind of person that just likes to have the security of knowing that it fits into the sizer. But my last one, even though it was not a substantially bigger bag by volume, it just had a frame that was like, really weirdly shaped like it was curved and again I talk about that in in the previous episode on how to choose a backpack but because of that weird shape it sort of was bigger in like as the crow flies if you just measure it like with a measuring tape or you put it into a sizer it wouldn't have fit so in those cases I did always pay extra even if that makes me a sucker And then just kind of as a a final note on these budget airliners, do check to make sure that at the very least it financially works out for the best to actually go with a plane rather than going with a bus or a train, especially in, in quite a densely populated region like Europe. In North America, it's probably very rarely going to be worth it unless you're just like going up and down the East Coast or something like that. But in Europe, it can very often be cheaper. 
and other things to take into consideration there are the amount of time that it's going to take you to get to and from the airport. So the train trip might seem a little bit longer or might seem like it takes roughly the same amount of time when in reality it is a quicker trip. And then also consider the cost of getting to the airport, if you're going to buy food at the airport, buying the food, and then, you know, getting to your destination and going back to the city and having to pay for that transport as well. So very often, a bus or a train can be a lot better than a flight. I particularly love the train. I'm willing to pay a little bit extra to go by train whenever it's practical because I just hate having to go to the airport and go through security and things like that. And trains often have Wi-Fi. They're often really comfortable. A lot of the times um, on the routes that I've used, they're not full. So you just have a lot of room. Oftentimes I'll just have a table and a bench all to myself, which I really like because you know I can plug in my laptop, I can work, I can look out the window and see things other than just like clouds or a dark sky, right? I can actually see things. And I just find a train to be the most pleasant travel experience. So even if it is a little bit more, I prefer to go by train. Buses, on the other hand, I mean, it's really hard to say what's more painful between a really long bus ride and a Ryanair flight. They're both pretty bad. Um, yeah, I I strive to see the day where I no longer have to choose between those two. But unfortunately, in a lot of places, they don't have like well-developed train infrastructure. And bus or flight are going to be your two main options. So, you know, make a judgment call based on the price and based on where you are and kind of your own sort of idea of like time and convenience and, and price and, and how that balances out. The other thing to be aware of, um, just as a traveler taking short-haul flights, is the environmental impact of them. So short-haul flights are like very, 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 very bad for the environment. In general, flying is not environmentally friendly. But in this case, it's just, you know, it's completely unnecessary when there's another mode of transportation. And then not only that, but these airports that have have been used to service these these short haul flights they're like oftentimes they're they're put in place or like they're they're they operate against the will of the local population so you'll have cases where there are protests against the building of a new airport or protests against the expansion of a particular airport. And usually, unfortunately, those protests don't go anywhere just because there's so much financial incentive um, on the part of these airlines and on the part of the airport operators. But there are significant, you know, local populations that are really quite against this. I think in general, when you're flying, it's important to just be cognizant of your impact on the world as a whole and on the local population and to be as respectful towards them as possible whenever possible or whenever practical at the very least. So, you know, with with the impact of, of short-haul flights in mind, I would strongly recommend just taking, taking the train or taking a bus whenever you can, uh, just because it's you know it's a it's a more ethical way to travel and if the price is roughly the same then it's not really going to hurt you either way 
Obviously, there are cases in which it's not practical and, you know, the infrastructure just doesn't exist. And you're looking at, well, you know, here's my $50 Ryanair flight and here's my $300, $400 train trip or something like that. Or like, oh, look, there's no train at all, right? And, you know, sometimes short haul flights are necessary and it's not practical to go via any other means or it's just like so painful that it's best avoided. But whenever you can, you know, if in doubt, then... I would encourage you to err on the side of definitely of trains because trains are just amazing. I love trains. Um, And I guarantee that you'll have a much better travel experience on a train with comfortable seats and leg room and Wi-Fi. But, you know, like just err on the side of preferring a train or a bus over a plane. And then just to kind of wrap up here with a couple of final budgeting points. So, one thing I did want to touch on is airline rewards programs. So airline rewards programs are sort of lucrative. They, It's the kind of thing where if you don't collect points, it's not going to make or break you. Like your budget is not going to go down by 30% because you use airline rewards programs. But with that being said, it's worth collecting them. Because, you you know, like there's, there's very little downside to collecting them apart from the inconvenience. You should be aware that there do exist airline alliances, which is basically there's, for example, the Star Alliance or the One World Alliance. And basically these are collections of airlines that have kind of a similar level of service that have partnered with each other in order to be able to access more destinations, right? So you might have a local like New Zealand airliner partner with like a Canadian airliner and then also with like um, like a European airliner and so on. So that within their alliance, they can get you pretty much anywhere in the world. And so you might book with one airline in that alliance and your connecting flight might be with another airline in that alliance. And these are not the same as self-transfer flights. So you're, it's basically like booking a single ticket with a single airline, like your connections are guaranteed, things like that. Um, you, you will have to check to see whether your luggage will carry through because sometimes it won't, but sometimes it will, depending on which connecting airline is operating the flight. Um, But you should be aware that these airline alliances exist and are a big part of flying, especially if you're going quite long distances. But in the context of points, the key thing is that within airline alliances, your points will oftentimes be valid for any airline within that alliance, right? So if if you're flying with the Star Alliance and you have the rewards program of one airline within that alliance... Oftentimes, you'll be able to collect and use points with any other airline in that alliance. Sometimes you will have to go through that home airline in order to book a a partner flight or like a flight with another airline in that alliance. But nevertheless, you will be able to do that. So the best way to collect airline points, apart from just putting in your rewards number when you're booking the flight, is to get one of these co-branded credit cards that allow you to earn points. So you might think, oh, well, you know what, like there's already cashback credit cards and, you know, why can't I just get a cashback credit card and take the cash and then I'm not tied to having to use these points, right? And that is a good point. And there are a couple of downsides to to collecting points. But I will say that in general, you will get better bang for your buck by collecting points versus collecting cash. Um, cash is a very safe thing. Like if you're the kind of person who doesn't want to worry about like the one 
10% extra cash back you're going to get by using points. And you don't want to worry about like how best to use the points and whether they're going to be devalued, things like that. Then yeah, definitely do stick with your cash back credit card. It's completely solid. Um, There's nothing wrong with doing that. And I definitely see why some people prefer that. But if you are trying to maximize it, I do think getting a credit card with a points program that's associated with an airline alliance that you use a lot is a worthwhile way to go. The other thing, depending on what types of credit cards you have, is that sometimes if you have a points program that's affiliated directly with an airline, you'll get some other perks associated with that. So for example, I have one um, credit card right now that goes through Air Canada's Aeroplan program. And through that card, I get things like a free piece of checked in luggage, which I don't use, but is like a pretty good perk to have. You know, it does save you like 30 bucks or something like that anytime you fly with luggage. Um, There's also like a, a travel insurance associated with that card. As well as like more, I think there's like more flexible booking options. This is like a relatively new card, so I'm not entirely sure what the exact features of it are. But in general, these cards, you know, they will offer things like more flexible booking options. Sometimes you'll be able to collect more points, right? So they'll give you like double the points because you already have this credit card. Or sometimes they'll give you like like a higher status. So like these points programs will sometimes have like elite status or something, something along those lines. Um, which will give you, you know, certain benefits. Like at some point, you you know, you might get bumped up to business class or something like that. That's only if you're like a really, really heavy traveler. Um, I've traveled quite a bit and have never reached these like higher tiers of these rewards programs. But, you know, if you are somebody who travels back and forth for work all the time, then that might be worth looking into. A couple of notes on these points. So first of all, points get devalued. And the reason why is because the people who operate the points programs really want to make money. So every points program will have an unofficial CPP, i.e. cents per point value, which is basically the number of cents that your points can be worth depending on what you spend it on. Now, Usually you'll have a number of options on like like how to use your points. Um, so for example, some of them will let you just trade it for cash or buy gift cards or then book hotels, flights, things like that. And the amount of bang for buck you're going to get when you use the points through those different methods is going to be different. With that said, in general, if it is a travel rewards program, regardless of whether it's hosted by your bank or hosted by an airline and it's just co-branded, you are probably going to get the best value for money by booking hotels and or flights. That's usually how you access the highest point value. But they do get devalued, meaning that once in a while, the administrators of the points program will say like, hey, it used to cost you 10,000 points to book this flight, but now it's going to cost you 12,000. And most of the time, there's just nothing you can do about that. And your points will just... The, the value of the points will get diluted. It's a bit like inflation, right? And so if you do have points, just be aware that if you do choose to collect them and then sit on them for like 10 years, they might not be worth as much as they were initially worth just because these these rewards programs, when they're new, want to have a really high value points 
system just just in order to draw in new people and then once they're more well established they tend to like devalue those points so as to make more money and so as to devalue them so that there's less that they have to give to you um second thing to be aware of is that unlike with cashback which oftentimes you get you know like once a year credited to your bill statement or even can redeem whenever you want some rewards programs won't allow you to pay for just part of a flight with points and so you will actually have to collect enough points in order to book a hotel room or to book a flight or something like that and until then you can either use them for other things like gift cards or cash or, or other product rewards um or you'll just have to keep saving them until you can actually afford to pay for the entire flight some of them will allow you to pay for part of the flight and then pay for part of the flight in cash but just be aware of that and then also budget airliners very rarely offer point systems they do have those like discount memberships that i mentioned earlier but oftentimes they won't have any sort of points associated with them so if you do plan to collect points just be aware that you know it might not be as lucrative if you're already a budget traveler just because a lot for a lot of your flights you're not actually going to be able to collect any of those rewards points but Regardless, I think if you are trying to really maximize your bang for buck, getting one of these reward credit cards is is a really good way to go. And you can also go like deeper into that. Like for example, a lot of them will give you extra points if you go shopping for groceries or if you get gas or something like that. So just making more general purchases like toiletries at the grocery store so that it gets so it goes through as a grocery purchase is a way to like maximize the number of points that you can get through a credit card. That's oftentimes, you know, not really worth the effort depending on who you are. Again, everybody has a different calculus as to how time weighs against money. But at the very least, like, you know, make sure that you're collecting some sort of cash back, some sort of points if you're if you're open to using credit cards, um, just because you will get that extra one or two percent. And, you know, like the money's sitting there either way. And it's a little bit pointless unless you're doing it for other like budgetary or philosophical or ethical reasons. It's it's kind of pointless to leave that on the table. Right. Um, So that's just kind of an overview of that just a last thing is that sometimes you can convert points so just be aware of that so if you have like you know bonvoy points and then like amex points and whatever other points that you have sometimes you will be able to convert them especially if they have partnerships this is not all that common but it is something to be aware of if you have like points where it's like how am i ever going to use these points these are completely useless to me so, you know, there is there is a conversion option or usually there's some sort of like cash out option or like close to cash out option. And then also sometimes things will go on sale. So just like with everything else, sometimes points programs will have these promotions where all of a sudden your points become more valuable. So if that flight that is usually 10,000 points is is what you can usually get then you know sometimes during these promotional periods you might only spend 7000 points in order to get that same that same value right so just be aware of those keep your eyes peeled 
And also just keep your eyes peeled in general for like low season airline promotions. If you're the kind of person who's okay with email lists, that can sometimes be lucrative. In all honesty, I haven't found it to be kind of like the most lucrative things, even though I've tried it. Just because, you know, you would need to fly on like a very specific date. Like sometimes it'll be like, oh yeah, the sale runs for flights that, that, you're where you're traveling between like August 3rd and August 10th, right? And so unless you're already planning on going a trip to on a trip to that destination, it's kind of like you know, like it's not really all that useful because you know, most of the time those promotions will be for very specific dates and very specific destinations. But regardless, um if you're not the kind of person who is too opposed to a little bit of spam in your inbox, it doesn't hurt to to kind of stay in the loop. And oftentimes websites will even allow you to send notifications. So like if you're on an airline website or on a flight aggregator website, you can set notifications for your route. So if you've Googled or if you've searched up like, oh, well, you know, I want to go from Rio to Cape Town, then you can save that search and have them email you when the flight drops under a particular price. I know that Kiwi has that and there's probably other aggregator sites that that have that as well. So if you're okay with being spammed, then, you know, stay up to date as to what these airlines are offering you and sometimes you will get um a like sometimes you'll get some sort of deal. Again, not the most lucrative thing in my personal experience, but definitely something that doesn't hurt. And then on travel in general, a last thing just kind of along the lines of discount passes and things like that, be aware that some places will offer you travel passes. So for example, there's like the Eurorail pass, which is a train pass across Europe that like lets you pay a set amount for a certain a certain number of of destinations or of legs on your trip, right? So, you know, like before you travel, don't feel as though you're limited to flights. Do look at things that are being offered in that region and that are being offered by different travel agencies, local travel providers, and things like that. So those are just kind of a few things to keep in mind when you're booking flights. Hopefully this helps you book cheaper flights in the future. If you have any particular questions, feel free to get in touch. I will leave an email in the comments along with a link to that previous episode on how to find the right backpack.